Chefs Without Restaurants, episode 107 with Stephen Lash. I got contacted the other day by uh, uh, an event planner and they wanted to, you know, they were working with caterers and all this. And so they reached out to me. They're like, we love your food. Everything looks great. We'd really love to work with you. You know, we've got this baby shower coming up and their model of how they operate is they want caterers to just drop off food and they'll, they'll heat it up. They'll throw it in the oven and heat it up and serve it. And I kicked it around because it was like 40 people. I'm like, that's a good payday. But um, I've also worked really, really hard to build a brand that is, you know, synonymous with excellence, you know? Um, And so if I drop off food in a chafing dish that somebody's going to throw into an oven and, you know, I don't want my name if they, if they leave it in too long or anything else that, you know, I don't want my name and brand associated with that. So I declined it because at the end of the day, you know, that reputation is, is everything. This is the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast with your host, Chris Spear. Each week, I'll be speaking with food entrepreneurs and people in the culinary industry. If you're interested in learning more about our organization dedicated to helping people build and grow their food businesses, look us up on the web at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org, and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Chefs Without Restaurants. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. I'm your host, Chris Spear. On the show, I have conversations with culinary entrepreneurs and people in the food and beverage industry who took a different route. They're caterers, research chefs, personal chefs, cookbook authors, food truckers, farmers, cottage bakers, and all sorts of culinary renegades. I myself fall into the personal chef category as I started my own personal chef business, Perfect Little Bites, 11 years ago. And while I started working in kitchens in the early 90s, I've literally never worked in a restaurant. This week, my guest is Chef Stephen Lash. He's the owner of Blue Duck Personal Chef Service in the Atlanta, Georgia area. Stephen's food combines fine dining with local influence, inspired by his extensive travel, passion for the outdoors, and hunger for understanding cultures. He's a veteran of the restaurant world, having worked in some of the top kitchens in Atlanta for over 15 years. Following the birth of his first daughter, he got out of the business in order to better support his young family. After a successful 20-year career in information technology, Stevens returned to his first true passion, feeding people amazing food. While Steven has a great story that I think everyone's going to enjoy, I think this episode's going to bring tremendous value to those who either currently work as personal chefs or those who are looking to start a personal chef business. There's also some really great advice to anyone who owns their own business. We discuss some of my favorite topics, such as workflow tips, finding your niche, and free food. We're both big fans of working with Airbnb operators and people who run vacation rentals. I think this is still an untapped market for those looking to acquire customers on a recurring basis. And I asked Stephen about his deposit policy. This is something I've gone back and forth with over the past couple of years, and I loved his take on it. I want to hear what you think about this episode. What was your biggest takeaway? You can send me an email, DM, or reply to our posts on social media. And now a word from our sponsor, Savory Jobs. Are you shocked at what it costs to post a job ad? Instead, imagine a job site for restaurants only, where you could post as many jobs as you wanted, and it only cost 50 bucks. Not for each job you post, but for all the jobs you post, for an entire year. Well, my sponsor, Savory Jobs, has made that a reality. They've launched a revolutionary, easy-to-use job site just for restaurants. And it only costs $50 for unlimited job posts for an entire year. 
Plus, for our loyal listeners, use the code SAVERY10 and get 10% off. That's S-A-V-O-R-Y-1-0. So go to SavoryJobs.com and discover the job site that's shaking up the restaurant industry. Forget the big corporate sites like Indeed and Monster. Join the revolution at SavoryJobs.com and remember to use code SAVERY10 for 10% off. And now, on with the show. Thanks so much and have a great week. Hey, Stephen, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. I am excited to be here. I'm looking forward to talking to you, another fellow personal chef and someone who's making some delicious looking food. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I'm excited too. We've, we've, you and I've kind of gone back and forth a little bit uh, on social media here and there, and I'm, I'm glad to finally sit down and, and probably pick your brain more than you'll pick mine. So, I love it. Let's bring some value to the, the listeners today. Excellent. Hard hitting questions first. If you were a flavor, what would it be? <laughs> what the hell is that? <laughs> um, uh, if I was a flavor, what would it be? Uh, root beer. Okay. All right. I'm I, down I with that. No, there's, <laughs> there's absolutely no, uh, no reason for that. Just I sometimes put that in mind. the end and breaks the ice. I'm actually <laughs> drinking Chinato right now. I don't know if you've ever had one of these. It's kind of like one of the San Pellegrino. It's almost like a bitter soda. So in lieu of drinking, like I love Amaro's and that kind of stuff. So it's like a bitter orange with some herbs and stuff. So it kind of tastes like a root beer with orange in it. And these are really hard to find and kind of pricey, but it's one of those things that I like to treat myself to. Nice. Nice. I'm, I'm working on a cup of coffee at the moment. So that would probably be my second answer to that. Right on. Well, it's a nice icebreaker. So really let's, let's kind of dive in. (laughs) Give me a little background on you. Um, I know that you did some cooking, you left the industry and now you're back with your own business. So let's kind of talk about that. How did, how did you get into food and cooking? So I actually started, <laughs> I started off as a dishwasher in high school, at steak and ale. If you remember steak and ales, right? You know, when I went and applied for this job, I wanted to be a dishwasher and they thought I was nuts because they had, they had busboy openings. They're like, well, they make more money. And I'm like, no, I want to be a dishwasher. And they're like, why in the hell would you want to be a dishwasher? And I'm like, I want to, I want to be in the back of the house where I can cuss and grow my hair out and do all this, you know, whatever. I didn't want to deal with people. I didn't want to deal with customers. I wanted to hide in the kitchen. So that's, I got a job as a dishwasher. They're like, okay, you know, this idiot actually wants to wash dishes. We'll let him wash dishes. Um, so I started off as a dishwasher at a steak and ale. And one day I was walking through the kitchen to, you know, put some plates up front or whatever. And the line cook at the time, he was there by himself on the line and he calls me over and he goes, Hey, stand right here. And so I go over and stand in there and he goes, all right, reach into that drawer, grab a baked potato. And so I reached in the drawer and I grabbed a baked potato and then he's cut, you know, cut it this way. And he starts walking me through garnishing a baked potato and then says, put it on this plate. And so what was happening is he was in the weeds and he needed some extra hands. So he just grabbed me. And so as I'm doing it, I'm having a blast doing it. And the, the manager walks by and goes, Hey, do you actually want to start cooking? And I was like, hell yeah. And, uh, so I started, I started off as a, is the baked potato guy <laughs> at a steak and ale in like 1988, and uh, and it just it just took off from there. I fell in love with it, and I worked my way up through the through the ranks, and you know, kind of that's that's where it started. And I, over the course of the years, I made several attempts to to get out of the industry just because uh, of the lifestyle and you know the the chaos and the lack of money and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, that's where my heart has always been. I took a 20-year hiatus almost and pursued a career in technology. 
and when my kids were born, uh, when my first kid was born, um, I saw her walk for the first time in the dining room of the restaurant I was working at. And I just, I realized I was missing a lot. So saw other, other skills and I did that for a while, but the entire time I was working in tech, I wanted to be cooking and people would ask me all the time, do you miss it? And I'm like, hell yeah, I miss it every single day. And, um, Somewhere in there is where this whole concept of Blue Duck was born on a couple of different levels. You know, fast forwarding a little bit, I got involved in a, in a startup that didn't work out. Um, my, my, and we can get more into this too. My, my life just kind of in, in 2019 just went to absolute shit. And uh, I was unemployed and looking for something to do and unencumbered by, uh, you know, a marriage or any of that kind of stuff. And I fell into this totally by accident. And uh, it just took off. So how did you fall into it by accident? Does anyone really fall into starting their own business by accident? I want to hear about that. So um, I would say yes and no. You know, I, I, to me and my perspective, yeah, it was kind of by accident. I, I'm kind of a believer of the universe kind of has spent a you know laid a lot of things out in front of me and had something in mind for me kind of all along and it was just a matter of timing basically what happened is at the very beginning of you know uh i exited it <laughs> i was fired from the job i was at and uh you know i the end of 2019 so many years before while i was still you know still in the restaurant business i had bounced around and kind of started to kick off this idea of bringing a restaurant experience, restaurant level food into people's private homes. Sounds like you're stealing my tagline there. <laughs> uh, maybe. I don't no, know. No, no. But I came, I've, I came I've up said, with it and I, you know. <laughs> I've, said, I've said the best restaurant in town is in your house, but, but you know, yeah, very no, similarly, trying, to, trying to give people the idea of like yeah. high end fine dining exactly. in someone's house. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. So I had kind of I had kind of started playing around with that like years ago, like 20 years ago or something like that. And so when I was unemployed and I'm like, you know, needing some income and, and you know, trying to figure out what I'm going to do, you know, what do I want to be when I grow up kind of thing? Um, I just posted it out on Facebook one day and I was like, hey, um, if anybody's interested, I'll come and cook a really awesome meal in your home and just kind of threw it out to my friends list and, you know couple of people kind of seemed interested, but I got a message from a friend of mine who owned a cabin rental company. She's, she's since passed away, but she owned a cabin rental company up in Blue Ridge. So I'm, I'm, I live in a small town called Canton, which is just North of Atlanta. Um, and it's about halfway between, uh, Atlanta and Blue Ridge, Georgia and Blue Ridge for for those who don't know, it's just a, it's a beautiful Southern Appalachian town, um, tons of vacation rentals up there and stuff like that. So, you know, she hits me up and she says, Hey, if you're serious about this, there's a huge market up in Blue Ridge. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Like what, you know, and I kind of dismissed it at first and she's like, no, really there is there's. And so I started thinking about it and, you know, we kind of continued talking. And so she wanted to try me out and she set up for me to do a dinner for some friends of hers. And if it went well, then she would promote me on their website for their rental company and kind of develop a package deal. And so I was like, okay, you know, what the hell? Um, I, I did the first event for her friends. It was four people and I did it for the cost of food and that was it. So she reimbursed me for the food um, and I went and cooked like a four course meal for them. And it turned out fantastic. 
I had no idea what I was doing. I rolled up to that place with so much stuff. <laughs> but I did the whole, you know, I took my own equipment, you know, basically the model that I do now. And uh, and it went really well. And so she she started promoting me on on there and then started giving me, uh, introducing me to a lot of people around town. And uh, so I started getting in with other cabin companies and just started kind of pounding the pavement and networking. No intention of doing it full time. But before I knew it, I was doing it full time and it just, it just took off and she was absolutely right. So it was a huge market and it, you know, it just kind of, kind of grew. So is that where most of your business is still coming from? Like these cabin rentals? It is, it is. Um, So it's, yeah, I'd say I'm trying to get, you know, more, more into the Atlanta market, but yeah, I'd say probably 80% of my business is up, up in the cabin rentals and, and it's through companies, it's through the Chamber of Commerce up there's got a fantastic website. Um, I get a lot of leads through it. I think more people need to hear this. I mean, I've talked about this for so long. So much of my business is through Airbnbs. And, mm-hmm. you know, for me, it was just like this aha moment of I had been hired by maybe three groups independently to go cook at an Airbnb. And at yep. that point, I was like, why am I just not cutting, like, cut out the middleman, right? Like, go to the Airbnb owners and say, hey, like, you're getting all these people. You know, there's these places that are booked literally every night of the year. That's a ton of people who are looking yeah. to have a getaway, an experience, whatever. So I'm telling everyone who's listening, like, find some Airbnb owners in your radius of where you do work, connect with them, and, like, build this relationship. And it sometimes does take going and doing a dinner at cost. I've done it. Yep. I've gone to some Airbnb owners and said, listen, let me come cook you and your family and a couple friends a dinner. And, you know, then when you promote my business, or if you're going to, you can say, hey, I've had this. This is what it's like. And I think those are the kind of things that really can transform your business. Yeah, exactly. And and that's, I do a lot of Airbnb. I have cooked and done the exact same thing where I've gone in and I've cooked for some people who, you know, have some Airbnbs. I've gone in and cooked for like owners of other cabin rentals, you know, just getting out there and pounding it and, and letting people, you know, cause a, a picture is great. You know, I can, anybody can take some, uh, well, not anybody, but you can take some great pictures of food, but nobody knows what it tastes like. Nobody knows what the experience is. So you know, going out there and doing it for free and, and eating the cost on it and then saying, hey, this is what I do. And and I've gotten a ton of business through that, you know. So yeah, it's 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 fantastic. I found out that in that area of North Georgia, even during COVID, they did take a little bit of a hit on the vacations, but there's like nineteen hundred vacation rental properties up there and they stay at about ninety percent capacity. It's a huge market. You know, and there's several, there's, I don't know if there's several, but there's, there's two or three other guys up there doing this, you know, but it's just getting it out there and and staying in front of and letting people taste, taste my food, you know? Have you had any marketing tactics that didn't work? Like, have you ever gone and done anything or spent money somewhere and it just didn't do anything for you? Um, no, not really. Cause I'm, I'm, I don't really spend a lot on it. You know, I, I just. I haven't really gone that deep into the marketing stuff. You know, uh, I've got a page on the Chamber of Commerce's vacation website and I get a ton of stuff through there. I bought a bunch of flyers. So what I'll do now is every time I cook in a rental, I'll leave two or three flyers, you know, trifolds in the, you know, the guest book, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so I do those sorts of things, but I haven't really, I, well, I take that back. Now that I think about it, yes. Um, I've tried like the Instagram and Facebook ads 
and they, all they did really was piss me off because you know <laughs> some somebody on the internet's going to have some comment to say about something and you know i just i finally just turned them off and you know i didn't get any business out of them you know it just really just more raised my blood pressure when i started reading people's smart ass comments and stuff <laughs> oh yeah i've had i've had a few of those myself where yeah. i ran an ad or something and then people are like what it's a hundred dollars a person that's garbage i could go to the restaurant for thirty dollars right. a head or whatever but, you know, like we yeah. talked about free food and for all the times it works, there are all these people who want you to come and do, you know, oh, come to our event. There's going to be 500 people there. And if you provide one free course, you know, free food for all these people, you're going to get business. Like I've done that. Right. I've gone to these events where I bring all this food for like 500 people and they just come and they like shove a bite in their mouth, maybe take a card and leave. And you literally never right. get a job out of it. Yeah, I I had a couple of opportunities in full full disclosure. I had a couple of those opportunities, but I listened to you guys talking about that on one of your episodes before. And I was like, nope, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love yeah. it. Try, trying to give the advice that works out. Um, right. I, I have a question. I was on your website and it says that you charge a 30% deposit and you take money before you start working on menus. Is that right? I do. How's that work out? Like, are people skeptical? Because I don't do that. I don't charge a deposit until after I've done a menu proposal. So do you get pushback that people are paying and they don't even know what the menu is going to be? Or no, no this has no, been a non-issue. One, one time. So I had one, one guy that, and it was funny because, you know, sometimes it just, it, I kind of look at it like you want me to craft this thing and you know, so you want a commitment from me and I'm willing to do that, but I also kind of want like some sort of token that, you know, I don't want to, I'm not going to put a bunch of time into creating menus and coming up with something really great for somebody who's just shopping around cash. Yeah, you got to have skin in the game, right? right? Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of where that came from. But I had one where, where one client, this is the only time it's happened. One client gave me a list of all of the chefs that he likes. And it was kind of Southern. So if you see my site, I do a lot of like Southern influence stuff. But, you know, he listed out, you know, well, we really like Paula Dean. We really like so-and-so. We've eaten in their restaurants. We like the, and he sent me a list of dishes and he wanted me to come up with a menu. And I'm like, that's cool. I said, but I've got to, you know, I've got to, I got to get you locked in and I won't, I won't keep the date if I don't have a deposit, you know, who it's first come first serve, especially like when it comes into autumn in the North Georgia mountains, like it just blows up because there's so many people coming in. And this guy was kind of like, you know, well, I want to see a menu first. And I'm like, well, you know, I said, I need to get you locked in. And I wasn't necessarily opposed to it. I just wasn't dropping everything to do it. And so we kind of went back and forth. And finally, I just went ahead and put together the, you know, the the invoice and sent it to him for the deposit. And I get this one liner back that says, you know, no, de no menu, no deposit. And I was like, well, that's kind of a dick move, you know, so... <laughs> Well, that's what I was kind of worried about. Like, I haven't done it before. Like, I don't know that I would go ahead and pay money if I didn't know what a menu is, like just myself yeah. as a consumer. But I know a lot of people do this. It takes time. I mean, especially as you get into the more complicated diets, I'll have people come and yeah. say, listen, I've got one vegan in the group. One person's a nut allergy. You know, we really yeah. love this, that, the other thing. And it's going to take me a couple hours to put together a personalized menu. It takes time. And then you send it and you don't hear from them. And it's like, right. wow, I just killed like, you know, two hours. And if you did that like 10 times over, yeah, that sucks. I don't yeah. know. Something for me to consider. I didn't used to take deposits either. You can listen to old shows uh, going back a year or so where I said I don't take deposits. And I got burned too many times this past year where people just like, mm -hmm. I don't know if it was COVID or more shopping around. I think more people were coming into the market who had never done it before. 
and didn't realize, you know, maybe the work that goes into it and just people who I took them at their word that they were going to do dinner and then we're like five days out and they're like, oh, we decided to go another direction. It's like, right. what do you mean? We've been talking for three months. Like, and they don't even tell you, right? It's like, okay, I'll see you in three days. Like, here's what you need to have. Oh, you know what? We meant to tell you. Sometimes I don't even say we meant to tell you. Oh, you know what? We're going in another direction. We're not going to do this dinner. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, like it's a Saturday night. I got you booked. Like it was a 10 time. Like this is like a $1,500 paycheck for me. I was counting on like just a hundred dollars, you know, if nothing else to, to hold that date. I promise you, if you take a deposit, they will let you know if they change their mind. <laughs> now that part of it, honestly, was I started it because I needed the cash flow to buy the damn groceries for them. So, uh, you know, it's like, I'm going to go out and spend a couple hundred bucks on groceries. You know, it's like my bank account when I was unemployed and starting this thing was, uh, was a little, little thin. So, you know, that's kind of when I, when I started doing it. And then I, I just, like we said, skin in the game, it just, you know, I'm making a commitment. I'm, this is what I do. So it's not like I'm complaining about it, but at the same time, you know, I want to make sure that they're serious about it because there are a lot. And I, I know that people shop around. You know, I've had it. There's, there are a few other guys doing stuff up in, up in my area and that's great. I welcome the competition, but at the same time, I'm not going to, you know, jump through a ton of hoops for somebody who's just casually like wanting to see what I can do. Well, I think that's where building brand is really important. Like I've always said, I don't want to be a chef. I want to be like your chef, right? Like I, I still get clients who want me to recreate dishes. Like their favorite restaurants, the Olive Garden. And they come, like, sometimes they come at you without even seeing your menu. And they say like, I want you to make a Caesar salad and a chicken parm. I don't know why I was shit on chicken parm, but I do. And like, you know, <laughs> cheesecake or whatever. Like they don't even want to see what I have. They need a chef. And it's like, I want yeah. people who want me because they've been to my website. They've seen my social. They know what I'm all about. Right. Those are my ideal clients. People that hire me fall into one of three categories. They're either, they just want somebody to cook and they don't really give a shit. They just don't want to do it themselves. They either... You know, some people it's like, ooh, I wanna, I wanna be fancy and hire a private chef, and they're not really, they don't really appreciate it as they're much. The, they're they, the people who want filet mignon and, and like a molten chocolate cake, right? Like they want yes. the fancy restaurant food. Like yes. the, in the industry, the restaurant industry, we talk about the people who go out for Valentine's Day, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then and then the last one is people that are really actually foodies that really appreciate it and want the experience, and those are the people I'm gonna target every time, you know, and the best ones I have, and I've got one reoccurring, like regular client that she's actually a resident up there. And she, uh, she brings me in every, every once in a while. And it's awesome. Cause she'll just be like, all right, I want a seven course meal. And I don't want to know what you're cooking until you get, until you serve it. And that's a blast. Cause it's anything goes and I can just do whatever. And, but those are the people that look at it and go, oh man, this is an experience. You know, this is a dining experience, not just like, oh, somebody's making dinner for us. You know, that's that's what I try and I go for. And so I don't know. So far, it's working. I don't know how much of this is just dumb luck, you know, or whatever, but it's it's working. So I'm going to keep I'm going to keep doing it. Did you have any business experience before you started doing this? Like, because I think that's one of the challenges. So many people, you know, you're a little older, so you had restaurant experience. I'm seeing a lot of younger people who like never went to culinary school, have never cooked, and they, at you know, 22, want to be a personal chef and have no idea how to do any of any of it from billing, budgeting, marketing. But did you have a skill set to actually operate a business? 
some yes my actually that's where i kind of feel like you know it's it's one of those moments where everything that i've been through and everything i've experienced in my life kind of all comes together right um i had a lot of business experience uh in terms of like you know my technology experience i i eventually worked up to where i was an executive so i was involved in budget discussions i was managing people i was doing all this kind of stuff and you know later in my career i was very close to the business end of it you know and so yeah through being involved in about th- i think three different startups um where you know it was it was a little bit more you know it was closer to to the day to day of like what's going to make or break this um i think a lot of that experience has served me really really well in terms of understanding at least on a basic level you know tax implications or how to budget or the value even of, you know, branding, um, the value of, you know, a feedback loop with my, with my customers, those sorts of things. And all that comes out of that world. Cause when I was in the kitchens, I, it didn't matter. You know, I mean, I was just cooking food, slinging hash and, you know, yelling at servers and, you know, I didn't care about the business end of it. So it was really that tech experience and that gave me the acumen to, you know, start to be able to run a business, but I'm still figuring most of the shit out as I go. I have no idea what I'm doing most days. So <laughs> so much of it changes day to day anyway, especially yeah. from the marketing perspective, how much of the restaurant industry had changed and how much were you staying on top of it? I mean, you took 20 years off and I think, mm-hmm. you know, restaurants definitely changed, but the food industry in general, people's tastes, like how much did you stay in kind of involved in, in the know while you weren't working there? And like, did you have any trouble kind of getting back into it? Um, you know, I think I always followed, followed stuff. So, you know, one of the high points of my career when I was out there, you know, in the restaurant world is I worked, um, and it's not there anymore, unfortunately, I would, I wish it was, but a restaurant called Nava in Buckhead in Atlanta. And it was Kevin Rathbun's restaurant. So I know a lot of people know that name. Kevin had opened that up in Atlanta, you know, 20 years ago, however long it was. And then he's since gone on and done other things. Um, But I worked for him for like two years. And the experience that I took there, and then I continued to kind of follow like him and some other things, you know, so I was always stayed kind of plugged in. And I've always enjoyed good restaurants. So I would I would get out and and do it not as much as I'd like to, but I kind of stayed plugged in. Once I started cooking, again, really, as I guess, during that time, I stayed a hobbyist, you know, so I did kind of follow along. But, you know, now it's kind of like as I've, I've come back in and, you know, social media and, and just seeing what people are doing and things like that. And they're going, oh, that's cool. Like, I'm going to try that, you know, it's still, you know, I kind of came back pretty quick. Um, but some of my stuff is, you know, I don't really follow a lot of I don't really do a lot of trendy stuff. I think my stuff's kind of a little bit somewhat timeless in, in a lot of it. You know, I've been playing with like molecular gastronomy lately, just, you know, I don't know. It just seemed kind of fun and like, let's try something different. But, are there any uh, techniques that you've just found that you really enjoy doing? Like, what are some of those techniques? This is probably going to sound super lame in terms of that, but like just stuff like, like, I, I think I served maybe three weeks ago, served my first plate with foam on it, you know? Um, and then I've got another, I did another uh, like caviar where one of the pictures more recently, I did this sea bass with, you know, like a hibiscus caviar that I made. And it was like, you know, it's just really more playing and like, let me see what I can do with it. And, you know, kind of, you know, they evolve out of other things, but 
most of my stuff uh, that I do now is is real simple, you know, and and that's something that I learned from Kevin back in the Nava days. Is you know, if it's seasoned properly, you don't have to do a lot to it. You know, I want if I'm going to serve a steak, I want it to taste like a steak. You know, and so seasoning is everything, right? But I, you know, when I first started this thing up, and some of this was kind of the influence of of that lady who was helping me kind of get it off the ground. She she kind of had a model in mind of somebody that she had worked with previously, you know, put a wet, put a menu out on your website, they can select and blah, 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 you know? And so that's how I started it at first. There was a menu out on my website and it had, you know, four or five salads, four or five starters, you know, a half a dozen or so entrees and a couple of different desserts and they could go and choose. And what I would end up with is, you know, I'd have one menu on one night for eight people and the next menu, the next night, totally different menu for another eight people. And I was killing myself trying to pull it all together, you know? So I, I kind of started, you know, getting rid of that concept, but then I would end up with like, I did this, this happened a couple of times. I'd have a party of like 20 people and I'll bring in help, but they don't usually cook. They're usually like washing dishes in between sets. Cause I've only got so many plates, you know, or helping serve, but like, you know, one of them, select it, you know, I'd let them split. Like, you know, if it's a big party and not everybody's going to want beef and they can have beef, they can choose between beef or the trout or whatever, but the sides and the accompaniments were all different. And then next thing I know, I'm like trying to cook for 20 people and and do all this and it just, it would fall apart. So now I'll look at it and go, okay, we can do that, but you're going to get the same accompaniment. So I'll come up with a dish. that has got the same accompaniment that works for beef or trout and just make it easier on myself, you know? So a lot of this just comes down to trying to trying to streamline my process. That's what I'm doing as far as that. Um, 10 is kind of my break point where I feel like over 10, you're probably going to have people who want different uh, center of the plate. So I've got a wedding next weekend and it's uh, filet and salmon. So I did let them choose too. But traditionally, if you had a party of like 12, I'm still probably going to try and get you to do one entree. Yeah, that's what, you know, when I first got it kicked off last year, it was out of desperation, right? I was unemployed. I was like trying to, you know, trying to get this thing going. Now, the good news is for this entire second half of 2020, I was completely supporting myself off of it full time. But in order to get there, everything, I was just a yes man, everything. If they wanted something, I was like, okay, you know, I took every gig I took, you know, whatever they asked for, I would do whatever I could to, to accommodate it. And, and I caused myself a lot of pain and and heartache doing that. I learned a ton, you know, so now I've kind of gotten back into like going, okay, well, let's, you know, what can I, where's that, that balancing, where's that tipping point of being able to do it without saying yes to everything. You know, somebody, um, I got contacted the other day by, uh, uh, an event planner and they wanted to, you know, they were working with caterers and all this. And so they reached out to me. They're like, we love your food. Everything looks great. We'd really love to work with you. You know, we've got this baby shower coming up and their model of how they operate is they want caterers to just drop off food and they'll, they'll heat it up. They'll throw it in the oven and heat it up and serve it. And I kicked it around because it was like 40 people. I'm like, that's a good payday. But um, I've also worked really, really hard to build a brand that is, you know, synonymous with excellence, you know? Um, and so if I drop off food in a chafing dish that somebody's going to throw into an oven and, you know, I don't want my name if they, if they leave it in too long or anything else that, you know, I don't want my name and brand associated with that. So I declined it, you know, last year I would not have declined it. I would have made it happen, you know, but now I'm kind of like, you know, it's solid enough that I feel like I've got some, some room to do that, you know, and, and protect it. Cause at the end of the day, 
you know, that reputation is, is everything. I think this is the most important point. I think we've touched on it maybe in the second episode I did and with chefs along the way. You know, I've, I've seen it firsthand. I've worked with caterers where it's the cheap menu, right? Like I've talked about mm-hmm. the cheap menu before. I don't know if you've heard any of my episodes about the cheap menu, but basically like your menu is normally $100 a head and then someone comes and says, well, my budget's really 60 Can you do it? And you need the money, right? Like a lot of us need the money. So you do it. But then what do you do? You cut on the quality of your products. You take shortcuts. Normally you'd make your mashed potatoes, but maybe you buy a pre-made or use an instant. You know, maybe you only have always bought fresh seafood, but you're going to buy some frozen stuff that when it slacks out, it's going to be wet and mushy. But what you don't realize is that's also marketing, right? So then you've got a hundred people who come to this wedding. They have no idea who the hell you are. They try your food. Oh, this wasn't good. Like who catered this? It's not doing you any good. So you got a payday of, you know, a couple hundred or even thousand dollars, but you're not going to get any customers from them. In fact, it might have done more damage to your reputation because out in the community, hey, I'm looking for someone to do a dinner. Oh, well, you know, I we went to this wedding. Don't hire this guy. You know, I, exactly. I think you can do some serious damage there, but I see it over and over from People who make really awesome food and have the best intentions and whether they're trying to accommodate their client or they just really need that money, they're willing to sacrifice. And I think brand is everything and where you place yourself in the market. And that's one of the things I'm always trying to tell people. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. What I do when I'm in my, my niche, my element, I do really, really well. And that's that's what I built the business on. And anytime I've tried to deviate and do something else, you know, for exactly what you're describing, it just, it falls short. And I think that some of that's just a maturity thing. And I've actually, you know, had a lot of conversations recently on, on a personal level of just how important that is and kind of, you know, having the confidence to stick to that and be true to what it is that I do. And that's, you know, that's kind of one of those little growth things for me because I'm still, you know, like I said, I'm still figuring a lot of this stuff out. So I refuse to do drop offs during COVID. You know, so many people were going to these delivery and stuff. It's like, so my whole brand and messaging has been fresh food with the best quality products cooked in your house, personalized for you. And the price point's $100. So now I've changed and said, well, on a Wednesday, I'll come and bring you a meatloaf and mashed potato dinner. And it's only $40. Again, how do I then convert these people back? Like those people aren't going to probably become your $100 head customers for high-end fine dining stuff. You're going to be branded with them as a guy who, you know, his food's worth maybe $40 a head and he'll do comfort food. And if that's not what you're doing. So it's really hard. Again, you know, I was unemployed for a number of weeks last year during COVID and it would have been a nice money grab to go do some of this, but I just I don't know. I mean, I'm fortunate, right? There's some privilege there that my wife works a good job and has some income and we were able to save and, and push through it. It is very different when like you you can't pay your bills. Like I totally get that. But if you can hold off, right, that's kind of where my head's at. You know, there's this picture that's it's floating around on my Instagram and everything else is like there's a headshot where got my jacket on. I'm holding a knife. You know, it's kind of like you know, kind of become like my, my main thing. And that was taken by, by a buddy of mine, who's a photographer. And this guy is a super cool story. Um, he used to be an Atlanta cop and he, he quit to become a photographer and his work is fantastic. Like in that picture has gotten me jobs. 
Like people have scrolled through, seen that and like, I'm hiring this guy. Um, but he and I have had a lot of conversations about that because he was kind of the same thing. When he was kicking off his business, he would just take all these jobs and, you know, somebody wants their kids, high school, you know, senior photo. And he would just take all these cheap jobs and finally realized, and this is what he would tell me. He's like, you know, if I hold out for the good jobs with the clients that I want and the level I want, it compensates for a dozen other of the cheap jobs. And so that's kind of where I'm at with it. It took a long time for me to feel confident in turning away work because I got a lot of them. You know, early on, I got a call from a, a lady who, you know, up in Blue Ridge and there's a ton of money up there, huge, like, you know, ginormous house right on the lake, you know, lots of money. She called me up and she said, I'm having a get together for like, you know, six of my lady friends. We want you to come in and do lunch. And I'm like, okay you know, what's the date, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay. And then it finally comes around. She says, yeah, we're really hoping to keep it around 25 to $30 a person. <laughs> I damn near hung up, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, cause it's like, hell, you can go to, you know, go to McDonald's then. So that was kind of my very first experience with that. And it's like, wait a minute, you know what? You hear it anytime you talk with artists or anybody else, they want you to paint something for them, but they don't want to, you know, as a favor, you know, that kind of shit. It's having the abundance mindset that like you'll get the jobs, you know, and that that's a big thing is I've been able to grow, you know, I'd rather go out on Saturday night and, you know, have like one big killer event a week than be like nickel and diming it throughout the week. And just that time for me has been able to be shifted to do other things like the podcast. Like, oh, I wouldn't be able to do the podcast if I was going out five nights a week doing these like two and four person dinners, you know, charge what I need to charge, get them done. Um, I love that headshot of yours. It kind of scares me. Like, do you you know who Sid Haig is? Who's like in the Rob Zombie horror movies? Has anyone ever told you you look like him? What's the matter? You don't like clowns? Or you think they're fucking funny? <laughs> it's, just, it's just one of these things like uh, when your profile picture is like so small, right? There. I think especially when you first started. Yeah, there you go. You're fluffing the beard out. I'm sure you've gotten this, right? Especially with the knife. Like I saw the profile yeah. picture and just, you know, when it's so small, I'm like, man, he looks like the guy from like the Devil's Rejects. Like it's just not right. But uh, I've heard that before. I actually did a I did a gig for somebody one time and, and they were Somebody asked, like the the all the guests were sitting around. They're like, "How?" They asked the host, "How did you find this guy?" And she's like, "I was scrolling through, you know, this website, and I came across this picture of this guy sitting there with this just kind of fuck you attitude, you know, in this picture." And she's like, "That's the guy." And she hired me solely off of that picture. <laughs> I mean, I it's like, it's right, a marketing cool. tactic, right? Like, if it works for you, go yeah, nuts. I mean, it's you know, it's one of those. It's and that's kind of become part of my brand. You know, it's it. You know, I'm the guy with the beard and the bald head, and I I wear jeans and red chucks, and I drive a built-up Jeep Wrangler, and, you know, I pull up, you know, so I get people every once in a while like, well, the cabin told us we need four-wheel drive to get there. It's not a problem, you know, but that's all kind of... It's just my thing, you know. I'm I'm that guy. Shout out to Matt Collins, Chef Matt Collins, big supporter of the show. I know he's listening here. He's one of my Patreon supporters. He did this photo shoot where he like dressed as Santa and he's like pouring yes. like liquor all over his face. He has somewhere he's wearing no shirt. It's crazy, but like yeah. the guy is booking gigs. Oh, I love B- him. Booking gigs, right, Matt? I know you're listening. Yeah. But you know, I don't know that I would ever do a photo shoot like that. But, you know, he's getting jobs. It's not keeping people from calling him. Uh, so, and his cat yeah. memes. So I'll, I will shout out to him. I know I know him. We I've slid into his DMs a couple of times just to comment on the damn music that he puts with his, you know, it's like death metal music that he puts in his stories. And I'm like, 
This is fantastic. I love it. What's funny about that is when I first started in the, in the lady who kind of was kicking me off, she's like, you got to wear the hat. And I'm like, the chef's hat. And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, hell no, I am not wearing a chef's hat. You know, she told me also like, you know, you got to change the name of the website because it was, you know, blue duck eats was something I already owned, but it was, you know, I, I, that's what I built the brand off. And she's like, you got to change that. That's terrible. And I'm like, hell no, I'm not changing that. I'm not changing that. I'm not wearing a chef's hat. And I think people appreciate the authenticity of like, hey, I'm just a guy who's out there having fun and I cook really awesome food. And so many of these things become, you know, this is a conversation I've also been having, you know, the brand is and the experience is not just here's a really nice plate of food. It's the whole thing. You know, when you go in, you're cooking, you know, do you explain like each dish or their stories or whatever, you know, people start interacting and they start talking and you're telling them stories and all this kind of stuff. And that all is part of it. And people, people love that. They want to see the personality. They want there to be more to it than just some, you know, piece of meat on a plate. Yeah. What are you comfortable in? You know, it took me a few years, I think for the first, I've been doing this on and off for 10 years now. I think for the first five or so, I was always wearing like the white chef coat and pants. I never wore chef hat. But, you know, a couple of years ago, I started wearing to a lot of my events like a Star Wars hat. And one time a customer said, nice. why the Star Wars hat? And I wasn't trying to be cocky. And it just came out so naturally. I said, because I can, because I own my own business and I can. Right. And it just, just right. like what it meant was like I for so many years had to wear someone else's monkey suit. And this is like mm-hmm. what I wanted to wear. And I don't really like wearing long sleeve anymore. You know, so I wear a short sleeve chef sh- shirt. But sometimes it's like a button down kind of short sleeve shirt. Uh, sometimes yeah. I wear jeans, you know, and the aprons that I like. And it was, it was just nice to kind of feel like my authentic self that like my food wasn't defined by how I dressed. Now I do know sometimes I do have those clients where I know I'm quote unquote the help, you know? Um, yeah. And I, I will put on those coats. They don't ask me to, but just sometimes I get the vibe from the customer that like, this is one of those events where you're going to be on show in their open kitchen and maybe I tone it down and I wear my white chef coat and like, you know, my branded chefs without restaurants cap instead of like a Star Wars lid. Right. Yeah, I haven't. Uh, I haven't. Well, if I've had any of those, I was completely oblivious to it and I just did my thing anyway. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, I don't I don't really worry about I, You know, I, I'm as you so eloquently pointed out a little while ago, I'm older. You know, I've been, I've been down those roads. I did the corporate thing where I had to wear the khakis every day and, you know, all this kind of shit. Um, and I just, I'm, you know, I'm too old for that, man. I'm just, I'm just doing my thing and I'm trying to have a blast while I'm doing it. So I'm, I'm going to keep doing that. They want to dress somebody up. You know what? There's three other guys up there. They can dress up, go, go talk to them. That's a much smaller pool though. I'm in the DC area. There's a much bigger pool of chefs I'm competing with, but. That's true. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to get into Atlanta, uh, the Atlanta market more, and I haven't been, you know, ha- I haven't really done much there. And maybe that's why. I don't know. But <laughs> maybe the Jeep Wrangler doesn't uh, present as well in Atlanta as it does in the mountains. So what are you still struggling with business wise? Are there things that you have trouble doing or something you're trying to work on that, you know, like self-improvement wise for the business? Like, are you yeah. trying to get better, better at some Absolutely. stuff? Absolutely. Absolutely. I... <laughs> I am terrible at follow-ups and callbacks. Like, you know, and I've recently started to try and just, I've had to force myself. I have a couple hours a day, every day blocked off on my calendar to force myself to sit down and take care of like what I call an office day, you know, 
getting back to people, you know, following up in a timely manner. I'll do it. I just don't always, you know, trying to get better about like, you know, picking up phone and, and so it's really more of the administrative and, and just keeping, I was going to actually, that's one of the questions I was going to ask you is how the hell do you track your leads? I used to do it in just email and now I've got like some little plugin for like Gmail that I've been using um, and it does okay, but it's just trying to keep up with everything that's in the pipeline. And yeah, I don't track leads. I just, I respond to emails as best I can. And similarly to you, it's, it's kind of a shit show sometimes. I mean, I have too many emails and now as Chefs Without Restaurants grows, like I have all my email boxes merged and I've got stuff coming in from all over the place and I miss things. Like I, I hate to say I've missed gigs you know, everyone's got a different time frame, right, of what's acceptable. So a client reaches out to you via email on, you know, a Friday night and says, hey, I want to have you for a dinner. It's been sometimes Monday, maybe even Tuesday before I shoot them back and say, hey, I didn't hear from you. I went another direction. And that kind of stings, right. you know. Yeah. Uh, so wow. trying to put better, better um, systems into practice, even if it's just like, Hey, I'm working all weekend. Can I get back to you on Tuesday? I'm I'm free that day or whatever, but just let them know. Uh, right. I, I guess I think sometimes people aren't in such a rush and that's my bad. And I know I've 100% lost gigs because of poor follow through. And that's something I'm trying to work on. Yeah, I have. I have too. And, you know, but I, I kind of chuckled to myself when you're saying, yeah, got an email on a Friday night and I didn't get back to him until Monday. And I'm thinking, which Monday? Like, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like you mean you mean like three days later? But as I'm a like, consumer, we do we I, you know I do that too, and I think that's where building brand is important. Do you want someone who really wants to hold out for you, or do you want the next person? Like, if I need to get an oil change and I call my auto shop and they're closed, or they say I don't have any openings this week, I hang up and I just call like another auto shop to get an oil change. Right? Like I've moved on in thirty seconds, and I'm sure there are people who reached out to you. They don't hear back yeah. from you today. Maybe they sent out three emails in the same day and the first one to respond. That's why I didn't like Thumbtack. I don't know if you've ever mess messed with Thumbtack. I don't want to turn this into a big Thumbtack thing, but that's what I felt like that was like as I was like a, yeah. a Pavlov's dog there. Like these people put these things out on the internet saying, I need a caterer for this date. Here's my budget. Here's what I like. And like the first two people to respond, they entertained their you know pitches. And mm -hmm. if you weren't like responding to their text and like, five minutes, you were going to lose out on this lead. And yeah. it was giving me too much anxiety, feeling like I was pinned to my phone to respond to these people's, you know, every message about a gig. Yeah, I, I, did, I haven't used Thumbtack, but there's a there's another one that's kind of similar to that that I signed up for. And I've I've never responded to any of them. And it's we're going to get the Chefs Without Restaurants uh, app going and the Chefs Without Restaurants website where chefs can load their info in. I, actually, oh, if really? anyone's listening, hit me up. I'm building a database. I don't know if you're in it or not, where uh, I have a database with all your info, your contact info, your specialties, whatever. And I'm using it right now to just get people leads. Like some sometimes I work with people in other parts of the country and they'll say, hey, I need a chef in Atlanta. Do you know anyone? And nice. I've got my list and I know who's in the Atlanta area and I can just send you over the lead and you take it from there. And I'm not like booking it or anything. I just send back right. and say, hey, you know, this yeah. is your guy. Talk to him. The whole responding to emails and stuff is tough. But I'd say, you know, like one of my things is, is how can you streamline? So my process used to be I send people a questionnaire to fill out. And mm -hmm. it used to be uh, a Word document that was like on my computer, right? So like I'm away for a couple of days. I'd say I don't have my computer, but I always take my computer with me everywhere. But like it would be hard for me to respond because I felt like there was something I needed to attach and send. And I just recently converted that over to a 
Google Drive form where now it's a link. Okay. So I'm on the fly. Like I could be in the grocery store and someone's interested and I'll say like, send them a link and say, here, can you fill out this? And then I've got the info all in one place and I don't have to come home because that's where I was losing things as I'd be working or away for a couple of days. Like, ah, I got to get in front of my laptop and attach this document. And I was just like, I don't know why it took me 10 years to figure this out, but I just put the questionnaire <laughs> into uh, a Google form and now I can just send it to anyone to fill out. And the nice thing about that is then it can be collated into an Excel file, right? That you can export where you have all of your clients' names, addresses, phone numbers, emails in one document instead of like having to open up a hundred different ones. And this was like, right. you know, my brain exploded when I figured this out. I recently kind of started playing around with with some tools, you know, what we would call in, in the tech, you know, productivity tools, right? And I, I find that a lot of times I end up going down these rabbit trails of trying to figure out how to get the tool to do what I want or, or learning it or whatever. And I've blown, you know, I've basically wasted, you know, hours sitting there playing around with this to try and get it tweaked. And, you know, and it's, I don't know, I got ADD on a lot of things. So I can, I can easily just, you know, miss the point of what I'm trying to do for Me something too. like that. So. Yeah, it's it's I don't know. That's that's probably my biggest challenge is, is keeping up with that, staying on top of it. But, you know, kind of the just the general back office stuff, you know, um, taking care of marketing. That's a little more fun. I don't know. I, it's learning like the cooking piece is the easy part. Right. Like 100%. I can do that. You know, yeah. it's all of the other stuff of, you know, uh, just accounting and how how to how to set it up, how to track it, how to, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I guess it's, uh, you know, it beats the hell out of the alternative. Well, looking at food, if we were to open your fridge and pantry, what are some things you always have in there? Like, what are, what's your jam? Oh, man. Uh, cereal. <laughs> what's your jam uh, if you're cooking for customers or what's your culinary crutch? What are some ingredients oh, you always man. use? I have got literally a wall of butter in my freezer. So anything, anything with butter, anything with cream, um, I keep, you know, I, I do a lot of my shopping at restaurant depot. So I buy certain things like I've got, you know, I keep duck on hand almost all the time. A lot of, you know, really, honestly, a lot of my stuff, cause, cause I live, you know, by myself, except for, you know, one of my kids is with me part-time and, and most of what I eat, what I do is just, you know, leftovers from what I'm cooking for other people. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know that I could really say that I have have one. Well, where do you find inspiration? I mean, I know, you know, you kind of do Southern stuff. Are you, and everyone says Instagram. So Instagram doesn't count. Even if you use Instagram, like, are you looking, do yeah. you, do you read cookbooks? Do you have favorite chefs that you like to, to follow? I don't really have too many favorite chefs necessarily, but what I, I think where most of my inspiration comes from. Yeah. I, I'm, I love cookbooks. I probably got over 200 cookbooks around and I, and it's everything. Like, you know, if, if I was to go back to a chef and again, I'll throw it back kind of old school, like I've got the entire series of Charlie Trotter books and I love those, you know, um, I love the pictures in them. I like to just, you know, what I kind of developed and some of this goes back to, you know, kind of Nava. I, I grew up in the Midwest, um, but my mom was from Knoxville, Tennessee, and she was, she was just Southern cook through and through. And honestly not a particularly great one but she you know she she would do all the southern dishes and so you know fried okra and tomato cucumber salads and all of these kind of things banana pudding you know i've talked about a lot of these recently on on like my social media 
So when I worked at Nava, um, Nava was a fine dining restaurant with a Southwestern flair. And I thought, man, it would be cool to do that kind of thing with something else. So I started, started exploring like Southern cooking and Native American cooking. I've got a couple of things that, you know, uh, interests in that direction. Um, so I started really looking into kind of like, what is American food, you know, and where did it come from? And I, I love getting into the history and stuff. So, so looking at something like Brunswick stew, right? How do you make Brunswick stew like elevated? And, and so I'll just sit there and come up with something. And I, you know, last year I, I wanted to do a Southern experience. And so I posted it out on like my personal Facebook, like, Hey, what is, what is Southern food? What's a quintessential Southern dish? People came back with all these lists of things and I started going through them and I'm like, oh, cool. How do I take fried green tomatoes and elevate that? You know, how do I take tomato cucumber salad and elevate that, you know? And so that's kind of where I, where a lot of it comes from. I've never worked in any, you know, true foreign restaurants. I've never worked in an Italian restaurant or a French restaurant. Everything that I've done, even when I did work at an Italian, it was like Maggiano. So it was an American Italian. Everything I've done has been, you know, American cuisine. And so I like to take that and kind of understand where a dish came from being in the South, the Southern Appalachian mountains. And there's just tons of heritage here and kind of looking at like, why is cornbread a thing? You know, why is barbecue, why is pork a thing? You know, like, Brunswick stew, where'd it come from? And then take those and kind of, kind of riff on them. Um, that's, that's where I spent a lot of my time. So I just picked up like Sean Brock, um, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, the heritage cookbook that he's got. Yeah, he's got know, two. I think heritage was his first and South yeah. was the second. South is more yeah. approachable. Like heritage is great reading and I love it, but I look at some of those things like I am not making anything from this book. Yeah. I, whether or not I actually ever make them, you know, I don't, I don't really read recipes unless I'm baking. It's the inspiration. Know? I mean, but, I, yeah. I've made a lot of things out of cookbooks. I mean, I still cook out of cookbooks, but I, I still have this tough time not tinkering. Like I go into it saying, mm-hmm. I'm going to make this recipe a hundred percent the way it's written the first time. And still like, I, I have this urge, like, I feel like it needs some smoked paprika or something in right. there, you know, and, yeah. and just have to tinker with it. I'm the same way. I, I'll go in with the best intentions, but as soon as I have to break out a measuring spoon, then it's all, all bets are off. Like, <laughs> it's like, all right, I'm done. I'm not going to go through the, <laughs> I'm not going to break out measuring. Spoon. Oh, I'm a big believer in weighing things. I'm, I'm all are about you? the gram scale. A hundred percent. I tell oh. people like, don't even bother cooking my recipes. If you don't have a scale, like as I start putting more recipes on the internet, Cause it's repeatable, you know, mm-hmm. like some things you can totally make by taste. Like I could look at a barbecue sauce recipe and make a barbecue sauce and like, it's going to be, you know, close enough to a quarter cup of vinegar or whatever. But a lot right. of these things, like when I'm really trying to ratchet down how I did it, I'm breaking out that scale and not just for yeah. baking, you know, just to kind of get on the right page with a lot of the stuff. I do like using mm-hmm. my gram scale. Yeah. That's probably why my cookbook's moving very, very slowly. <laughs> like I've been, I started working on one, but then it's like, oh, now I got to like dial in an, a, a recipe to make it repeatable. And it's like, eh, probably not going to go that far down that path. Well, that's why I worry that people aren't going to make my recipes when I put them out. Like I just, you know, this past week, my podcast guest was uh, the brewer, brewmaster from Victory Brewing. And I wanted to use their beers to make some recipes. And I gave them to a blogger to post on her site. And I think people get used to it on my website. But I was making, you know, one was like a chocolate truffle recipe. And it's like, I'm going to weigh this in grams. Like, I'm going to get them close with like, it's a cup of crushed pretzels. But eh, like, 
It depends on how finely you crush them. Like if you go with 100 right. grams of pretzels, you're going to get this right. If your cup is you, you crushed them too much, you're going to have too much in there. Like and it's just I tell people, like, just go spend 15 bucks and buy a scale. Right. I've got one right now. It's got some of my ramekins uh, sitting on top of it. But I, I do use it for baking. Like I've got a, a flourless chocolate cake and I got to weigh out, you know, the, you know, the different chocolates and things like that. So I use them, but I just, once I have to start like really dialing in and reading and paying attention to that level, I kind of lose some of it. So, you know, I'm, I'm the, I'm the, the classic, you know, cook, I will do savory all day long. And my kids even give me a hard time because they know anytime I'm prepping for an event, dessert's always going to be the last thing I make. I put it off and put it off and put it off, you know, but you know, I like to freestyle a lot and, you know, it's just kind of, I don't know. It's when the ADD kicks in. <laughs> what do you want to leave our listeners with today? Uh, man, you know, I think, I think on that kind of similar note, I was having a conversation at one of my more recent gigs and, and these guys came in and they said, you know, can we cook? Can we watch you cook or can we help or whatever? And I'm like, absolutely. Ask me questions, you know, get in there. And so one of the guy asked me, like, I want to get better. How do you recommend I do that? And I was like, my answer was throw away the recipe book, you know, read a recipe, understand, like, you know, you mentioned barbecue sauce, understand what is barbecue sauce made of? It's got tomato, it's got vinegar, it's got mustard, and it's, you know, um, it's got sugar, those four elements, and they make up a barbecue sauce, play with it. It's just food, you know? So what if you screw it up? It's just food, you know? But get in there and and really, you know, really get in and play and have fun with it and get passionate about it. And that's that's what I try to bring to all my plates rather than being stuffy with it and, you know, making sure that the flour is in the exact right spot. You know, it's just food and food is awesome. I think the point I'm trying to make is, is you know, I see a lot of people get hung up on on the details of memorizing a recipe. You know, how many cups of vinegar? versus sugar versus tomato versus, you know, mustard or whatever in that recipe. Well, understanding those and then understanding the balances, you know, acid versus sugar textures and 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 really kind of getting in and playing and understanding those things. And then it, it kind of goes. So yeah, I read the recipes, but understand what it's trying to do, understand what it's trying to bring out and then then have fun and freestyle and riff on it. Well, I think that's great advice and a great place to leave the show today. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. And to all of our listeners, this has been Chris with the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. As always, you can find us at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org and on all social media platforms. Thanks so much and have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show or sponsoring a show, please let us know. We can be reached at chefswithoutrestaurants at gmail.com. Thanks so much.